Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken and special super guest star recorded September 15th, 2011. Yeah, so this is our second listener's choice episode and we have, as Ken mentioned, super special guest star, Brian. Hello. Hello, Brian. Brian, you're on the East Coast, if I'm not mistaken. I am. I'm from the great state of Maine. So we've covered three time zones with this podcast. So in a way, we're time traveling. <laughs> wow. Good point. <laughs> so uh, anyway, so today we're going to cover Star Trek DC Comics Volume 2, issue number 73, 74, and 75. And why are we doing this, Brian? Because I was asked, what did you want to cover? And I thought this would be, uh, I haven't read these yet, and I thought, I love backstory, love continuity, and this is the Carol Marcus story. This is Carol Marcus and Kirk and the conception of David. So I thought, let's do it. Yeah, I'd read actually. I've I read the first two years ago, back when these came out, probably in '95. But I had never read the third one until this week. So uh, I'm glad you picked these three. It's funny you should say that because actually, as I read through them, when I got to the end of the second one, I thought, well, that kind of feels like the conclusion. We don't really need another one. And then they did the third one, which I thought was actually the best of the three. Hmm. Yeah, I agree. I like that that last third one. Well, then we're going to have disagreements because I thought the third one was, <laughs> was my least favorite. <laughs> and I'm particularly <laughs> underscoring how much I like the third one because Donovan said he didn't earlier today. <laughs> <laughs> but I do like it the best of the three. But this does... This does fill things in nicely uh, as far as where uh, Carol Marcus fits into the whole Kirk saga. Instead yeah. of just showing up in Star Trek 2. Yes. Yeah, it, does, no, it doesn't feel forced. A lot of it feels uh, like they really worked hard to... to uh, there, there's some moments that are forced, which I'm sure we'll get to, but uh, right. I thought it, was, it, it flowed. Yeah, and also Revelations. I mean, she's a doctor, so I wasn't expecting that she was a member of Starfleet, not to give anything away. But uh, that was that was that was interesting. Didn't know it. Well, I always kind of thought that that they must have met in in Starfleet Academy days. I don't know why. Oh, really? Wow. The young blonde lab. You're a psychic. Well, yeah, I think that's it. Because because uh, because Gary Mitchell in, in Where No Man's Gone Before mentions that he hooked up Kirk with a, a blonde lab tech and uh-huh. Kirk says he almost met her. No, oh, she doesn't say lab tech, her. just blonde-haired girl, right? He said he almost married her. I know, but he he just called her a blonde-haired girl. He didn't say lab tech, did he? I would have to look. I would have to I would have to watch that episode again or that little bit of where yeah. no man has gone before. So yes, I always sir. I always assumed because I watched Star Trek 2 way before I watched uh Where No Man Has Gone Before that that was who he was talking about. There you go. Cool. But again, that's, that's just me that's trying to fit the the connected pieces that don't necessarily always supposed to connect. Right. Which is your great gift. <laughs> oh. 
<laughs> my experience is that Donovan, much like myself, wants it to work, wants to find a way, even though the, the lab tech thing was written 20 years before Star Trek II or so. Yeah, that works. I like it. <laughs> sure. So, anyways. Um, just on a side note, real quick, before we jump into the uh, into these issues, I want to tell a personal story real quick, if that's all right with you two. I'll be brief, because I know we're going to go along. I suppose. So, uh, way back when... Uh, I was in Oklahoma, and I was getting a little uh, dis- disillusioned about this podcast, thinking that nobody was listening to it anyways. Why are we bothering doing it? Blah, blah, blah. And I got my first email from Brian. <laughs> and I'm telling you, Ken, it was like a, an eye-opener. It's like, somebody's actually listening. So uh, I'm really happy that, that Brian agreed to do the show for us today. Yes. Because he's the reason we're still here. Well, there you go. Exactly. Being a Star Trek geek just wasn't enough. I am Star Trek comic book review fanboy. Oh, that's great. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, it's just it's just amazing that uh, that once Brian started sending the emails, then we got other ones, and it was just kind of like a little snowball, and it was just like, just like somebody's actually listening, somebody actually cares. So that's my personal antidote. You know, we've never actually we've never actually seen Brian. Are you sure he's just sending all those in? Under different email addresses? <laughs> That's possible. He could be. Hmm. <laughs> You're on the no. move. Well, he, he's, no. he goes to some elaborate means to come up with new Facebook pages and stuff like that. So. <laughs> it's an elaborate ruse. Exactly. <laughs> Anyways. All right. Well, uh, with that being said, you want to jump into the issues, guys? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. So... Uh, I got issue number 73, which came out – well, it didn't come out, but it has a cover date of July 1995. Uh, it is entitled Star-Crossed. This one doesn't have a subtitle that I can find, but the cover says No Win Scenario, so we'll go with that. Uh, the The writing staff is – the writer is Howard Weinstein, penciler Rachel Ketchum, inker is Mark – Hinky, letterer Bob Pinaha, colorist Ray Murtog, and editor is Margaret Clark. We start off with the cover, which shows a young Kirk holding a young Carol Marcus within a blazing starburst frame with the Enterprise uh, flying by. Uh, actually, it might not be the Enterprise because it has a different registry number, but it's a Constitution-class ship. And up at the top, we have the title, No Wind Scenario. So we start off with young James T. Kirk in command of the USS Patinkum. Uh, the bridge is being rocked by blasts from a Klingon battlecruiser. Gary Mitchell informs Kirk that they, are, they, that they can still save themselves and return to the neutral zone. Kirk informs Gary that they will need to save the ship that's emitting the distress signal first. The bridge is rocked some more, and Gary informs Kirk that the shields are collapsing. Kirk orders communications open, and a fierce form of the Klingon's face appears on the uh, view screen, demanding the death to the crew. Kirk explains who he is and that they are here to save the freighter. The Klingon commander is actually taken aback by the name Kirk, proving that Kirk has already made quite a name for himself. The Klingon withdraws and allows Kirk to save the ship 
in t- uh, which is named Kobayashi Maru. So obviously this has been the test, the famous Kobayashi Maru test. So sometime later in the training simulator, Kirk is sitting in the dark when Carol Marcus arrives and chastises him for cheating in order to win the no-win scenario. Kirk disagrees that he cheated. He just changed the conditions. He goes on to explain what he has heard from or he goes on to explain what we've all heard many times from the movies that Kirk does not believe in no-win scenarios. Kirk and Carol have a fight that Kirk used the knowledge that uh, she gave him to do the reprogramming, and they are interrupted when Gary Mitchell arrives to inform Kirk that the big brass want to see him, and it's not going to be just to shake his hand. That night, Gary and Carol talk about Kirk's predicament, and Kirk, uh, Carol continues to blame herself for giving Kirk the resources to perform the reprogramming. Later that night, Carol returns home to find a very sad-looking Kirk sitting on her bed. She begs for him to forgive her several times, but he does not answer her. Only when she is in tears does he state that he is not being demoted, that he's actually been rewarded with accommodations. A pillow fight ensues. We jump six years later. First Officer Kirk is meeting with his captain aboard the USS Eagle. The captain informs him that he needs to take some time off, that he is not married to the ship. And he also informs him that a young Carol Marcus has just recently been assigned to the ship. He tells Kirk that any relationship that he has with Marcus uh, is basically okay as long as it does not interfere with their duties. Kirk and Marcus rekindle their relationship. Carol is excelling at her job even though she seems to rub her immediate supervisors the wrong way with some of her ideas. Carol does not understand how Kirk so easily can tell his supervisors that they're wrong without offending them. Sometime later, a large away team is on a planet doing a survey. Carol is fascinated by a large gorge, while her partner is only focused on some small plants. She takes it upon herself to go explore the gorge and scan it. As night approaches, the away team reports to Kirk, and when Carol's partner returns without her, he creates a search party to search for her. She is in a cave and exits just in time to see the search party get caught up in a uh, rock slide. Back on the Eagle, Carol is hearing the computer tell her that she is two months along in a pregnancy. Kirk comes in sometime later, and they argue back and forth about how she is foolish for not following orders and that she's lucky that none of the search party were injured in the rock slide. Carol just informs Kirk that she's made her decision to leave Starfleet and gives him her resignation, saying that they both know that she'll be happier away from Starfleet. Short time later, Carol's in the transporter pad, and there's a touching goodbye scene with Kirk. Carol asks Kirk to resign with her, but states that uh, she knows that he, he cannot do that. Never during this conversation does she mention that she's carrying their son. So once she's on the space station, she watches the eagle fly away and wonders if she had done the right thing about not telling him about the baby. And she closes the story with a thought, and this is the quote, Love may not be the answer to everything. So it kind of ends on a downer. Yes, a love story that had to take a backseat to career, which does happen repeatedly in the Star Trek universe. 
So is this a little bit like what might have happened to Deanna and Riker? Uh, that's a good point. Anyway, just point that out. I don't know. I think Diana, Deanna and Riker, they, they, I got the impression that it didn't work out for a while. And then when they got together, it was still there. Yeah. So you don't wow. think Carol and uh, Kirk could have got back together after Star Trek Two, Or you think it was definitely no more romance there? As a lot of water under the bridge, especially if you take what these say. <laughs> Good point. Right. Anyway, we're back to this one. So, anyways, what did you guys think? It felt like the whole thing was okay, but it felt like they're setting up the story. And, you know, I guess you could have just ended this and have it in a one shot. But it, it goes awfully, you know, later on the story gets really complex. And here it was pretty boom, 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 boom. Yeah, and they jump they jump through time a lot in this issue. Um, I mean, e- each one of these issues is based quite a bit of time later, but but this one has a big six year gap in the middle of the story, which I thought was a, a little odd. Yeah, uh, I just wanted to say I was kind of surprised at the beginning that they jumped right into the last Kobayashi Maru simulation that Kirk went through, the one where he won. Um, well, do I you want to they... you want to see the one he loses? Yes. Or a little bit of the background, yeah. Uh, that's I, I I just I just felt that they were rushing it a little bit. Now they had a lot of ground to cover in these three issues, and good lord, the uh, third issue was quite long. So I'm fine that they you know maybe rushed in certain places, uh, but yeah, I, I, I just I, I mean they dropped you right in the middle of it. I found it very hard to see the Kobayashi Maru scene third try without picturing the 2009 reboot. You know, where they did the exact same thing and they did it differently and they did it great. And this was an interesting twist, too, that instead of, you know, winning uh, because he's shooting down the bad guys, he convinces them that he's just so great. And they're like, oh, please, let us help you. (laughs) So so which one's the bigger ego? I think the original Kirk way of doing it show displays the much better ego or bigger ego. What with the uh, I'm. You just recognize yeah. oh, my name and you back down. Exactly. You're all back down. I mean, that's totally ego. That's great. <laughs> and, and and definitely the uh, the Chris Pine Kirk is pretty much an egomaniac in the early days, uh, which we don't get as much of that here. Uh, I, I, I picture that more of being the Chris Pine Kirk thing to do. I'm kind of surprised that they, they – I, I, I like the way they did it in the movie, but mm-hmm. it seems like the way they did it in in the comic book – which happened before the movie, naturally, is more in alignment with the, uh, you know, kind of hot shot. Right. And, and there's actually the there's actually a novel called Star Trek the Kobayashi Maru by uh, Julia Eckler um, that came out in 1989. And, and in it, Kirk explains how he cheated, and it's, and it's this scenario. He programmed the Klingon to recognize his name and to be so in awe with, with his reputation that he backs down. <laughs> so they made the conscious decision, J.J. Uh, Abrams and the and the uh, the writers, Orky and stuff. They made the conscious decision not to do it that way in the movie. I wonder why. Well, to be honest, I don't know if they knew that the books and the comic books had already delved into that. Oh, are you kidding? Well, do you think they know. read the comic books? I kind of don't. I think Orky. I, I don't think so. I think Orky and um, I, I forgot the other writer, but the two writers that that were involved in this. Yeah, uh, I mean, 
they wrote some of the IDW uh, comic books that yeah, also get more tied backstory. into their story. I, I think they are comic book fans. Okay. And I think they, uh, I think they did some research. I mean, wouldn't you? I mean, I, I think they would have, especially if this has been the way it's been in the a comic book and a novel. But maybe not. No, I mean, obviously the the writer Weinstein had was aware of that novel. So, I mean, I don't know if that was part of the, you know, quote-unquote Bible that, uh, you know, all the Paramount people had as part of, you know, this is this is how he cheated so that they both used the same source material. Or if Weinstein had was familiar with that novel and went that route. Who knows? I would right. guess that Weinstein knew about it, but I doubt it came into the conversation for the film. There you go. Yeah, and, we'll, and we won't know. Yeah, it's all speculation. Yeah. Um, but I will definitely agree that um, any of these comic books, any of the novels, they're not canon. Nope. They're not. Right. And, and the And the Paramount guys are going to do what goes along with the movies and TV shows. And they're, they're not going to necessarily give much of a nod to this stuff unless it works in their plans. Right. As, as they should. They can't make the – they can't make the – the fan base for the comic books is so small compared to the fan base of the movies that you can't hinder a movie or a TV show episode with something that had been established in the books, unfortunately. Right. And there's so much contradiction within the books. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's <laughs> yeah. impossible to do. So, Well, even in this one, this issue number three that we're going to do here, it contradicts what DC Comics did and – as the quote-unquote last mission of the Enterprise before right. retrofits. So. I was going to bring that up. Yeah. Yep. You should at least be consistent with your own stuff. I, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that was Star Trek Volume 1. This is Star Trek Volume 2. Different continuity. Totally different. Yeah, I'm not buying that. <laughs> so speaking of continuity, Klingons with bumpy heads during uh, Kirk's Academy days. Would y'all, did y'all care? Missed it. Wow. Oh, the simulation guys. Oh, yeah. It's uh, it sort of puts Good point. the non Good point. non bumpy head guys into a very small window of time, doesn't it? Yeah, like it was a fashion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyways, I, that's just my nitpicky thing to do. So the whole thing that was supposed to make them go smooth, uh, Klingon that, Botox that kicked in by yeah exactly that kicked <laughs> in by this time period. I mean that that kind of makes sense. Well, then why is given Cora the revelations? The, nobody else has the bumpy head in the show. Well, okay, so you're saying okay, fine, but uh, I'm just. I guess what I'm trying to say is this was a period of time uh, back in an early Kirk days at the academy, obviously before the TV series. Was this far enough in the past that? it actually would somehow jive with the idea that uh, for some period of time, Klingons went smooth-headed <laughs> and then became bumpy-headed again? It works for me. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I don't want to belabor the point here. I'm just trying to, trying well, to say, I, I mean... Yeah, I, I don't think that would fit just because Enterprise, the, the show Enterprise, right. had them converting into bumpy this. heads way back then. I, I mean, asked Mark Leonard heads. once. Uh, Mark Leonard at a uh, Star Trek convention... I asked that question. Did they ever give any explanation as to why the Klingons suddenly have bumpy heads? And he just looked out at the audience and said, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. So, so you, you asked that to Mark Leonard yourself? Yeah, who was, of course, the first bumpy-headed Klingon. He sure was. 
There you and go. the first Romulan and uh, Spock's mm-hmm. daddy. There you go. You had a lot of history. That's pretty funny. With the show. Now, the, the explanation I heard through, you know, interviews and stuff that I had seen is that uh, Gene Roddenberry just kind of said, eh, these are southern Klingons. We've only seen northern Klingons up until now. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. That's how you do it with it. Okay, perfect. <laughs> Anyways, let's get back to the, the issue at hand. Interesting Literally. that they decided not to show them meeting because they'd already done that in annual number two. And um, they just started with them already having a relationship. I thought that was a good choice. You know, it was late in Academy days and, um, you know, they get right into their, their fight. And by the way, did anybody else notice that on page five, right in the middle on the left, it kind of looks like Kirk's about to slugger. <laughs> I don't think they meant that, but... <laughs> Well, I think that's just the normal Kirk way of talking where he, you know, uses his hands and, and sometimes they're in fist shapes when he's enunciating his point. <laughs> I don't know. That could cover the situation. <laughs> but you're right. It does look it's like James. he's about to slugger one. Yeah. And and they're playfully in a little fight there. So I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure I, I kind of took this as to be more really... of a playful, playful yeah. fight. Right. Yeah. But then when they went as far as, you know, the pillow fight. That was a little overdone. They could have done better than a you know, the lover's pillow fight. Oh yo. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well that was after she's crying because she feels so guilty that she's somehow caused him to get demoted, which I never quite understood. He still did it on his own. And then pillow fight, it's over. All's yeah. good. Yeah, he does let her go quite a while, doesn't he? He does. He's kind of a jerk, man. He is. <laughs> no wonder she doesn't tell him that she's having his baby because he's a jerk. <laughs> that would be kind of an extreme reaction, though. He's kind of a, he's kind of a jerk a couple six times. Years from, six years from now, I'm going to have your baby, and I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> Anyways. What were you trying to say, Ken? Sorry. Oh, just that he's kind of a uh, jerk a couple times in this, this storyline. Yeah, so... Uh, Brian just mentioned Star Trek Volume 2, Annual Number 2. Um, I kind of browsed through it real quick, and he's kind of a jerk there, too. It's like his first year at the Academy, and he's, you know, like like, like uh, Mitchell says in the um, Where No Man Has Gone Before, he's a, he's a book on legs, and he's taking himself way too seriously and uh, kind of rubbing people the wrong way there, too. If you watch the um, deleted scenes from the reboot movie, and the, the very scene that we were talking about, he actually uses the Orion girl that he sleeps with. Um, he uses her to get the computer to to reboot, right. and uh, in a really like kind of mean way. And they decided to cut that out because um, they didn't want to make him such a jerk that you hated him. Yeah, yeah, and, and uh, that's in the novel too. Um, right, and I, I liked that this story kind of matches up with that and that he did use his quote unquote love interest at the time to help him cheat. Right. But if they couldn't make a Carol, I'm glad they made it a green or Ryan slave girl. (laughs) (laughs) So, so since we're talking about the movie, when y'all saw that trailer, that first trailer for, uh, well, not the first one, but the, the one that actually showed footage from Star Trek 11, when it shows, what ends up being Kirk's mom having the baby. Did y'all think that that might have been Carol Marcus? No. Although she's a a, a blonde, blue-eyed woman. Right. I just remember, because I watched that trailer over and over and over again, and, you know, I had 
had a loop. It ran for hours every day for me. <laughs> but when it just I showed in... that like flash of it looked like a woman having a baby, and I was like, oh, I bet that's how they're going to end the movie with Carol Marcus having the baby and not telling Kirk about it. Uh-huh. Obviously, I was wrong, but <laughs> wrong. Anyways, I I digress. Sorry about that. So, Brian, you had something you were going to say? Just that the first time I saw that trailer, I was actually sitting in the theater not knowing that it was coming. And it started, and I didn't know that it was Star Trek until, you know, the young Kirk says, My name is James Tiberius Kirk. And I, I remember, like, grabbed the, the knees of people on either side of me and just was like, <laughs> and, and I didn't even know them. Amazing. I was just, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's funny. It went all a flutter. So you weren't cool. you weren't waiting on bated breath on the internet for them to release it. I I think I I was, but I guess I missed it. I remember I was when the first trailer came out and it was the building the Enterprise. Right. Just be, watching that over and over and over and over again. But somehow got busy. I, in fact, I was away at a, on a business thing when I, a bunch of us went out to a movie. It was like <laughs> I just I didn't see it coming. That's funny. It was kind of cool. And it, and it formed even a deeper bond with you and your uh, worker, co-workers. Yeah, yeah, I kind of outed myself in that moment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you outed yourself as being a Star Trek nerd. Yeah, they kind of knew, but they didn't get quite the depth of uh, the psychosis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we all suffer from it. Anyway. Yeah, I get it. I wasn't crazy about the uh, the first Academy uh, badge that uh, made it look like, and, and I know it's it's a common one. Apparently, it's been used in multiple things, but it looks like a daisy. So I know you expect water to squirt out of it. <laughs> yeah, or right. Yeah, there you go. It's a clown. I wasn't thinking of that, but yes, that works too. I, I it just looked like a like a like a daisy. It's like I just thought it was dorky, but mm-hmm. I wasn't crazy about it. Yeah, that is funny. I didn't I didn't realize that. Uh, another thing I thought, um, I thought, I thought Kirk looked like uh, he worked out a lot in his academy days. He's pretty beefy. Mm-hmm. Well, he's a comic book. They they, <laughs> they look. Well, like I that. know that, but it's <laughs> he's pretty beefy. And then, uh, and I really don't think that Gary looks anything like Gary. He looks more like uh an extra from a piece of the action or something the tv sh- the tv <laughs> episode he looks like a mafia hitman or something he does not look that much like gary lockwood no i'm glad they they had to call him by name because i wouldn't have recognized him either yeah i agree but it, it, later on like i think it's the next cover it looks better I don't, know, I don't know if that's right but at some point they did a pretty good job but not here better a better job yeah this one isn't too good I did like how they had the uh, styles of the ship look like, you know, the Pike area type Enterprise with the the little viewpoints on or view viewfinder looking things on on a swivel. Mm. Did y'all notice that? Oh right, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. The the little yeah. War of the Worlds guys, yeah. Yeah, I thought that was a nice little touch because yeah, like on the dashboards and stuff. Yeah, right. I like that. Yeah, that's got. I like that attention to detail. Yeah. Did anybody else when when Carol went into the cave? Did anybody else? Obviously, it wouldn't work with continuity because she says Starfleet engineers took forever to tunnel this out. But when you look at that cave and where she's standing, to me, it was evocative of the Genesis cave. 
And I can tell you why. It's because the light that she's standing in is roughly in exact the same shape <laughs> as the, the, the video that's inserted kind of in the 1980s style into the matte painting. Do you know what I'm talking about? No, I know exactly what you're talking about, and, and you're absolutely right. I didn't see it until – I didn't notice it until you mentioned it, but yeah, it does. Hmm. That's funny. That's a good point. I didn't, I didn't notice that either. And I could be totally making it up. So. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, another thing I liked that they borrowed was the uh, the away party uh, uniforms. Yeah, yeah, I noticed that so, too. Yeah, the jackets. Um, yeah, so right across from that cave uh, part you're talking about that you guys were just referring to uh, on page 18, I think it is. I think it's 18. Um, there's a few shots where they've got the landing party jackets like they used in the cage. Mm-hmm. Right. Which I thought... Uh, I always love that. I always like that those jackets, those away jackets. And also the lady to the left has kind of a, a drop-down, well, actually Carol does too, uh, drop-down thick, turtle, loose turtleneck kind of thing, which reminded me of uh, Donovan's favorite yeoman, Colt. Colt, yeah. Uh, uh, okay. Yeah, I, I do like that uh, that woman's uniform. Yeah. Didn't number one had a number one had a uniform like that too, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think so. But I thought it was better to mention Colt. You know, for your sake. Ah <laughs> oh, man, Colt. Oh Colt. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, well, last thing that I had was uh the station, um, right when they say six years later, um, is clearly supposed to be the same design as K nine. K nine <laughs> exactly. Yes. So I, I, I thought I was thinking the same thing. It's even Starbase Nine. And, and why not just make it K Nine? I mean, yeah, I know there's lots of they probably use the same design, et cetera, blah blah blah. But they don't do that a lot. They don't just say, "Here we are," you know. Probably because that's associated with the triple episode so deeply. But right. anyway, I noticed it. And let me just also mention one thing because I built the K Nine station when I was a kid, model kit. Oh, model kit. Okay. Oh, I thought you built the real one. Well, I just wanted to make sure you realize that this was a model kit made by a big corporation as opposed to something I made out of dinner plates or something. <laughs> no, I can picture the very one you talked <laughs> Yeah, I didn't make it, but I, I wanted to. <laughs> um, I'm not sure, but I think that one had – okay, I'm, I'm going to get my geek on. I think it only had three pylons coming out of it, not four. But other than that, <laughs> it completely looks like the K9 station. Nicely done. Who else is looking it up? <laughs> you sure you didn't just break the, off the third one and then uh, just go with it? <laughs> I don't right. think I did. I'm pretty sure it was only three, but... When I was a kid, I bought a... Uh, my very first model I ever did was the Enterprise D. And I put the nacelles on backwards. Ouch! And so if, and I could never get huh? it undone because you know that 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 super glue stuff really glues it in there and i was going to break the nacelles if i tried to take it off so i just i just went with it and i was like yeah this is the way it is well if it's anything if it's anything like my experience with the uh 15 or 16 star trek uh enterprise uh cartoons i had or uh rather models i've had i broke those nacelles off in like uh like a like a couple days they didn't stay in very well and I remember trying to glue those back into place, and I just had just huge gobs of glue right where it goes into the engineering section. Ah, I always broke those off. 
I see your pain. I just thought and, I'd it. But I must say, I never got it backwards. Well, it was the Enterprise D. It Star Trek Next Generation had just come out. I wasn't that familiar with the, the ship just yet. And I just got a little impatient and glued those bad boys on backwards and then started painting it going, hey, this is wrong. <laughs> uh, I wish I still had that model. That would be pretty funny. To, I think I, I lost it at some point in my life. And by the way, I just want to say swish, gentlemen. Swish? Because, yes, I did look up on the inter, interwebs a picture of uh, the K-9 space station and count them three arms. Three Nicely done. Well, you Swish. really are a dork, <laughs> and and proud. I'm proud of it, my my friend. As you should be, sir. As you yes, should be, indeed. Okay. All right. Anything else on seventy three, gentlemen? I'm good. I'm good. All right. Let's let's keep on moving. Okay. So I've got the distinct privilege of doing the next one. So issue seventy four, Star Crossed, Part Two, Loved Not Wisely. This one was published August 1995. Uh, I th- yeah, I'm not sure if these are all the same people, but I'm going to pronounce it better. Uh, writer was Howard Weinstein. Uh, penciler was Rachel Ketchum. And inker is Mark Hike. Letterers are Bob Pinaha. Colorist is Ray Murtaugh. And editor is Margaret Clark. Okay, the cover shows Kirk in his Where No Man Has Gone Before gold uniform. Gary is to his right, crossing his arms. Carol is to his left, holding baby David. They appear to be back at Starfleet Academy, since the Golden Gate Bridge is in the background. The title page shows Earth and a starbase over her. Two shuttles are approaching the space station, and a Constitution-class ship is departing. Lieutenant Kirk is recording a log stating that he has been recalled to Earth 21 months after... He came on as equal as the Eagles' first officer. Gary Mitchell is with him and says they are going to make Kirk a captain. Kirk says Gary is delusional. The title, Star-Crossed, is at the top of the page with the subtitle, Part 2, Loved Not Wisely, at the lower bottom. The lower bottom. Yes, I actually wrote that. Okay. (laughs) After Kirk completes his meeting with Starfleet Brass, he and Mitchell depart HQ to go to head off in different directions. Gary is off for a hot night in San Francisco and Kirk to the Federation Science Academy. He speaks to a scholarly-looking gray-haired gent who luckily knows Carol and where she usually is at that time of the day. Kirk also discovers Carol earned her PhD and is now a doctor. Kirk is told she is usually working late, and if she is, tonight she will be in the biochem conference room in Wing C. Kirk arrives at the biochem chemistry lab in time to see a rush of seven young scientists rushing out of the conference room. Carol is their boss and she is asking them to work part of the weekend to meet a deadline they have all known about for months. They complain and whine, but slave driver Carol Marcus will get them to do what she wants, darn it. Kirk says hello and they awkwardly exchange greetings. Kirk asks Carol to dinner. She says she'd love to have dinner, but she has someone to pick up first. Kirk thinks it's uh, a boyfriend or husband and kicks himself for not calling first. They take a relatively quick walk to another part of the campus to meet Ben Wu, who hands a young child to Carol. 
Kirk introduces himself, assuming Ben is Carol's man. Carol is a bit annoyed by the whole thing and tells Kirk she is there to pick up David, not Ben. David, her son. They go to Carol's apartment, and while David sleeps, Carol fills him in. Kirk tells, tells her she should have told him. She says they could not have stayed in Starfleet, and Kirk could not have left it. So what kind of life could they have had? She tells Kirk to go to Iowa and see his family. Take some time and think about things. She needs a decision from him before she lets him into her or David's life again. The scene shifts to Iowa at the Kirk farm where Jim is throwing a football with two of his nephews. A younger third nephew named Robbie wants to play too, but Kirk tells them it's all time to clean up for dinner. He says after dinner to Robbie that the two will play a special game. After the boys go in, Jim and his brother Sam talk for a while about old trucks, continuity, and kids playing Starship. They talk about Kirk maybe staying with Carol and David. They talk about Jim and his family possibly pulling up roots and joining the Deneva Agricultural Colony. Where have I heard that before? Grandma calls them in for dinner. Later, Jim is contacted by Starfleet. He has been offered the Oxford, a light cruiser. He says he's not sure he will even take it, but Brother Sam is sure that he will. Later, Kirk calls Carol via video phone for a second time. Since she did not return his morning call, he assumes she is not home again, so he leaves a painful message. He tells her of his promotion to ca the captaincy of the Oxford and that he has been in briefings all morning. He says something lame about David probably being in bed already and him wishing he could do uh, the tucking in duties for David. Kirk is avoiding seeing them again before the ship ships out, and Carol knows it. She does not pick up the phone. Uh, what point would there be to draw this out, she thinks to herself. Kirk asks her and David to the transfer of command ceremony tomorrow. She continues to not pick up, and Kirk ends the call. Carol tells David it is still just her and him. The next day, Gary is in Kirk's quarters, reminding him the ceremony begins in 20 minutes and to get a move on. Kirk says he has requested Gary as his helmsman, but to back off the nagging. Carol has not shown up, and he wants to speak to her before he leaves. He moves to make a final call when Gary remi reminds him it does not look good for a captain to be late for his own transfer of ceremony, transfer of command ceremony. They leave Kirk's quarters Duffel bag in hand, quickly. On the Oxford, where Kirk is now in command, he is speaking with his mother. She gives him a 500-year-old book of Scottish verses that was passed down through his family for centuries. She said Kirk's father wanted the first child to leave home to have it. Gary contacts Kirk over the ship's intercom, telling him that he has a VIP waiting for him in briefing room two. Kirk says goodbye to his mom and makes his way to the briefing room. Carol is, of course, the VIP. David is sick, so Carol was delayed in getting to the ceremony. The late trip to the Oxford was the best she could do. They argue lightly, and Kirk asks Carol to marry him. 
She declines, saying she needs someone to be with her and David, not chasing across the galaxy. Carol says she knows Kirk is married to, the, to Starfleet and whatever ship he happens to be serving on. There is no place for her and David while he is in Starfleet. Kirk asks to get to know David. Carol says to stay out of David's life unless he wants to go all in. She leaves Kirk alone in the conference room and departs the ship. Later, on the bridge, Gary tells Kirk Star Starfleet has signaled their permission to head out. Kirk finishes thinking he will be a father to David someday. He tells Mitchell to take them out. Full impulse. Make it so. Oh, sorry. Uh, not make it so. The end. Yeah, so Carol is... Uh, I, I do not agree with her motivations and her decision to keep Kirk out of David's life at all. Yeah. Really? You do? Well, no, I guess, but I knew it was coming because he says in Star Trek 2, I did what you want. I stayed away. Yeah. Yes. Well, that doesn't mean that way, like too. it. No, that's true. I'll give you that. What do I, well, no, I don't think anybody likes it. I, I think I think Carol's a, a bit of a pig-headed woman, and, but she's a realist. I mean, she knows Kirk is, you know, Joe Adventure or whatever. And uh, and although some women uh, have have had their men go off to sea forever while they stay at home and take care of the kids, I don't think Carol Marcus is that kind of person. Right. I think she's protecting David from being, you know, infatuated with his father only to have him leave again. And she wants to save him that heartache. And that works out real well for her in the end, doesn't it? <laughs> Yeah, I'm not saying I necessarily agree with it. I'm just trying to understand it. <laughs> yeah, she's stubborn. I mean, Kirk's stubborn. And he's selfish, too. I mean, in the end, considering the number of times Kirk and company have saved the planet, the Earth, the Federation, <laughs> everything, you know, he made the right decision. But you got to say, it's, you know, a fair amount of uh, inward focus that was part of the him making that decision, I think. Right. I did like the chasing through the universe reference, which is obviously referencing Star Trek Two. You know, were we going to be together? I, I didn't want him chasing through the universe with his father. Oh, mm -hmm. yeah. So I, th that's a good point. It, it's nice when they use some of the um, the same phrasing in some of these books as they use in um, in the movies. Yeah, sometimes it's a little too on the nose, but I thought that was slid in there nicely. Yeah, you know, um, didn't know there was a Federation Science Academy in San Francisco. I knew Starfleet headquarters. I knew there was a uh, academy, but the Science Academy, Vulcan Science Academy. Am... You would assume that there would be a Starfleet Academy. You'd hope so, or a Starfleet, or maybe a Federation Science uh, Academy. Mm -hmm. I mean, isn't Starfleet a uh, well, kind of a military and exploration body? Not necessarily academic. Right. right. It's interesting that in this issue, and pretty much in the last one too, unlike the next one, they didn't feel a need to put in some kind of sci-fi B story. This really is a character-driven story, and they really kind of stick to it. Um, you know, I, I, I kind of appreciated the fact that it wasn't... Sometimes, especially when you watch Next Gen, there's this really good character-driven story going on, and then for some... You know, there's this obligatory 
lame B story going on in the background. You know what I mean? That's right. that's very science fictiony. Right. True. And, and of course, think, and of course, yeah. we end up getting that in the third issue. Yeah, I think that's exactly what they did in the third issue because it well, doesn't really jive. Well, that's just it. The, the third issue could have probably been a twenty-two page character-driven story, just like these three, and I think it would have been better. Uh, that that's my big beef with the third issue, which we'll get into here in a second, is that it seemed like they just tacked on an extra an extra twenty two pages of filler, and it was the whole mystery thing, which which I don't want to get into right now. But I think I think you hit you hit the nail on the head. That's why I don't like that third issue as much as you guys do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they they, they do tie in that that appendage of that mystery. Um, I thought into the motivations of how they split up again, but they probably could have worked that out without necessarily having that, um, that, that mystery of the missing starship. Right. I but thought it, this issue did a really good job with the character stuff and, and maybe one of the best moments I thought it was subtle, but when they're, um, going to pick up David and he thinks he's going to meet her husband or her boyfriend and she's nervous because she knows that this is she, she, he's about to meet his son and then they both at the same time as they walk in think oh god the moment of truth <laughs> but they're, but different they're in moments. different places yeah yeah I like that too and I liked how Jim uh, how Kirk just you know he, he just took it he's like oh well this is her new guy he's a nanny uh, I'm gonna Treat him with respect and, you know, not get all jealous or anything. And he just introduces him and says, hey, I'm a friend of Carol's from way back. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, but he should have called. <laughs> <laughs> he should have called. <laughs> Good point. So so just some quick baby math here. So uh, Carol Marcus leaves when she's two months pregnant, uh, two months pregnant right? Mm-hmm. And she's been on the she's been on the eagle for about four months, and so then when Kirk says he le- leaves twenty one months into his uh, into his stay on the eagle, that means that if if David was a full term baby, he would only be about ten months old in this book, and he looks like a two year old. I thought he's huge. Well, you do realize that kids mature at different rates of speed. In TV shows and comic books. Oh, that's right. In TV shows, they do they go like five years in one one summer hiatus. Or <laughs> exactly, or even more. This is very soapish. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right. we, we 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 all know the example of Alexander. So. Oh, but that was a Klingon growth spurt. Oh, completely that's... explainable. Oh, yeah. As okay. Peter David Peter David does explain that in the. One of his Star Trek books, he explains that Alexander went through a Klingon growth spurt and has grown about 10 years. <laughs> and I thought it was hilarious. So speaking of Peter, um, in, in the original series episodes, we've only been introduced to Peter before, right? The nephew Peter? Um, and the brother, his brother Sam. Well, yeah. he talks about his brother Sam, and then we oh, meet yeah. – well, yeah, he's dead. He's dead. Yeah. It's actually, you know, William Shatner with a mustache. Right. But, <laughs> we, but we meet Peter, but we don't meet Brett and Robert. And I you're don't right. think right. they're ever mentioned in, in the original shows, are they? Right. No. And in fact, no. I, I've never heard of them. Um, Peter, of course, we remember. And um, 
a lot of the the fan based fiction um, video that you can see uh, on the internet have used that character of Kirk's nephew Peter, um, you know, all grown up, um, and he's he's become sort of a main character in this in this talk about expanded universe where they actually build the sets and they do their own episodes. That's the new voyages. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And that's the one where Peter is uh, gay. Right. There's an episode. Yeah. Although he's in a lot of them, but yeah, there's one where he, he has a lover and that's the whole, that was actually written by David Gerald. Yep. Yep. Oh, okay. Wow. I need to watch these. You should. They're yeah. free. They're free and they're, they're kind of good. I mean, they're, you have to be forgiving. You can't expect a paramount, you know, quality, uh, motion picture, but they definitely but, have heart. But and and not only that, I mean, some of these episodes—they're really not bad. I mean, some of the special effects, the phasers firing, uh, is better than I expected. Yeah. Um, some of the set design of the ships are not bad at all. Yeah, they they, uh, they, they put in some some thought to this. Right. And there's one there's one in particular. Um, what is it called? Where, where they have all these characters. It was directed by um, Tim Russ, and it's got Nichelle Nichols in it, and it's got a whole bunch of, um, from across the different series, um, of the sort of B-casts are, are in it, which gives it a certain legitimacy. Um, oh, wow. I don't know why they did that. When did that one come out? That one is a three-parter, like it's really a movie, and it's called Of Gods and Men. And it's not done by the same people, the, the Phase 2 people. It's but they use their sets, and some of them are in the background and, and have roles. Um, Jim Crawley's Kirk plays like a background guy. Um, Harriman is in it. I mean, you know, it's it's worth looking up. But the actor that played Harriman is in it? Yes, yes, he plays it. Wow. Garrett Wang is in it. Oh, he plays a different character. Um, Tuvok is in it, played by Tim Russ. Ethan Phillips is in it, playing somebody different. Um, wow. Chekhov is in it, playing Chekhov. I mean, you know... <laughs> Yeah, I haven't I haven't been back to that back to that site in in at least a year. Uh but that's definitely a new one to me. I'll have to check that look, one out. Look it up, not it's not on that site. It's actually a different company of gods and men. Anyway. We'll do. We're 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 on a tangent. Now I know what I'm gonna be doing this weekend. <laughs> well, you know, it'd be, it'd be interesting to, to check in and see what you thought. Um what, so one thing I wanted to mention, and I don't mean to keep bringing up the 2009 movie, but you know, you know, if you watch the deleted scenes, or I assume read the book, that when in the very beginning, when young Kirk is speeding down the road and he sees the other kid, he says, "Is it hi, Johnny?" And that's his brother. That's his brother, right? Why didn't they make him Peter? No, his brother's. Oh name no, is no, but... oh no, 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 Sam. Why didn't they make him Sam? Sorry, why didn't it that's be Sam? that's an interesting point. Yeah, and of they course thought... you. He has two brothers, right? He has a brother named uh, Robert and another, a brother named Sam, right? I don't remember. Robert. Or George. Yeah, George. But, well, in George is George his father. Kirk. That's the father. But I thought it, there was a George oh, Junior. There's a George Jetson, but I don't know. I I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm having a difficulty keeping it all straight. But it does seem that the continuity is a bit different in the 2009 movie here and there. I mean, we kind of know that. Sure. But sure. They, they seem well. We really don't get it's to just see a, that whole backstory. Thing. It's a simple thing they could do, you know? Yeah. And it, it took me out of the moment almost as much as the Motorola product placement that comes right after that. The Motorola? Oh, the no- or the, I thought no- it was Nokia. Nokia? 
Oh, maybe some there's some product placement that happens right then. I'm like, really? Yeah, and, years a, from and now. the dash and the dashboard of the vet. Yeah, yeah, Nokia. Thank you. Which is another thing. If Kirk was so freaked out in a piece of the action about driving that old piece of crap clunker, you know, old 1920s car or something. I mean, when he was a kid, he was driving around a vet for cry Pete's. <laughs> I mean, internal combustion engine kind of thing. It's like, you know, what's the big deal about that that old Studebaker? You were driving around a vet. You mentioned that about the, the <clears> car. <throat> I, I was getting the car feel when they were talking about this old beat-up tractor that uh... – Oh, right. That George and uh, or Sam and his kids are working on, and that he says that Kirk and 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 Sam worked on with their father. I kind of felt like, oh, that's kind of like the car, because in the novel of the 2009 movie, it's mentioned that that car was his dad's and that his yep. stepdad, you know, drives it all the time, and and Kirk's resentful that uh, it it's not part of their family oh, anymore. Right. And that's why he just. You know, uh, him and him and Sam have it out with the stepdad. Sam's running away, and that's why he's on the side of the road when Kirk just like I'm stealing the car, and he just takes it. Right, yeah. it's the perfect thing to use to rebel. Right. So I just thought it was cool that that this car kind of ties in with that. You know, again, just because I want to, I want to connect things. <laughs> right. Yeah. But there's this old tractor that the family works on. There was an old car in the movie. So. Uh, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that Sam's full name is supposed to be George Samuel Kirk Jr. And so that that kid George is Sam. That maybe wow. because that's maybe, a stretch. Uh, I'm Have you did you look sure. that up in Memory Alpha or something? No, I'm I've read other books that had to do with uh, Kirk's family and 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 uh, in other books he he does have three nephews. They're named hmm. differently, oh, but but yeah. Well, I'm not questioning the the, the nephews, but but I'm just saying, I, in those books, it says that you know his older brother is named is George Kirk Jr. Oh, well, that makes sense. Which is why I didn't have a problem like you had when when they referred to that boy as uh, George instead of Sam. No, but he calls him Johnny. I thought he was. I thought that was the kid talking to. He calls him Johnny. I think, yeah, I mean, he, he's, he, as he zooms past him, I'm going to have to look. Have to I'll look later, but I think he says, hi, Johnny. Uh, I'll take your word for it. I don't know. Yeah. Well, according to Memory Alpha, George Samuel Kirk, um, George Samuel Kirk was the brother of Starfleet Captain James T. Kirk. Nice. He was usually called George but his brother always called him Sam, just to keep things nice and confusing. So there you go. Yes. <laughs> so, so, okay, cool. You are a spot on, man. <laughs> Kirk's brother situation always seemed a bit confusing to me. Come on. Well, yeah, I, did, I also thought that in in the episode, which was Operation Annihilate, yep. that he, the morning doesn't really go on very much. It's kind of like, <laughs> oh, man, that's too bad. Uh, Next. I, I, I watched <laughs> We we got ourselves some aliens to kill. I watched that episode yesterday, and literally Kirk turns his back to his dead brother, kind of leans up against the wall, and Spock, I swear to God, steps over Sam's body and walks over to Kirk and tells him about the the little uh, tells him about something, and then they walk off. And I'm like, you just <laughs> stepped over your captain's dead brother. <laughs> That's I know. pretty yeah. ruthless, man. 
Um, I want to know on page four, I think it is, when he's walking to meet Carol and he's going through the Science Academy. Um, it's the middle panel on the left. He goes by this, like, diorama. And there's this, like, person inside of it that looks like they're either freezing to death or starving. <laughs> what, what is that? Yeah, I had the same thing. It, and it's, it says terraforming model. Where do you see terraforming? I see ing. Yeah, and the and the and the oh, one and above the, it the says one above terraforming it? model, and it has an arrow. So I'm oh, just... thank you so much. Well, I put <laughs> things together. I'll tell you. <laughs> so 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 the so this is like a, a like a dummy kind of thing, uh, some kind of scene of people working on diara on terraforming. I don't know. I, I didn't understand it either. I was thinking that it was some like caveman or something. I thought some like. <laughs> Naughty Starfleet person that I mean, <laughs> the terraforming wasn't going well, <laughs> so they needed to stay there yeah. in the glass cage. Yeah, um, it doesn't make sense. Looks like a zoo. And and on the frame right to the next of it, uh, it shows like rain clouds within that glass. I mean, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, rain clouds. That's and then and then another one, day. fluffy clouds, <laughs> fluffy white billowy clouds. But they're raining. It's raining. It shows rain coming out of them. It clearly does. Well, no, no, no. no. Uh, down. The oh, cell directly oh, oh. down from the storm oh. clouds. <laughs> Anyways, good. Now point. that's that's so. I'm just I'm just saying. There's all kinds of clouds you want to see in these panels. Okay, so you know, I always thought that the name Kirk that sounded like a German name to me, not Scottish. But that, there you go. I don't really know much, apparently, about uh, the lineage of names. Yeah, I was surprised, too. But, you know, I, I don't know anything about it, either. I was more surprised that this is not the first time Kirk has left home, and she's just now giving him the book. That occurred to me, too. I was like, he's been gone for years. and <laughs> Well, wow. you know, that 500-year book was just, it was under a stack of newspapers. I don't know. <laughs> well... He is getting his first captainship, so it's a, you know it's a big big deal. Yeah, it know. is a big deal. First officership doesn't sound too bad. Yeah, no. give the book. And just leaving for Starfleet period seems like a pretty big deal, but oh well. She hmm. had her reasons. She had her reasons. All right, so can I can I do my one nitpick for this issue? Do it. So Kirk replaces a. I believe a female captain. Captain Mawiski. And she's a lady. She's it is a lady. a lady, right? Yes. He actually says her. That's what I thought. Okay. Yeah. Well, because in that last episode of Star Trek, the original series, and I can't ever remember the name of it, the one where he's... about Intruder. Yeah. It's said that there's never been a woman's starship captain. So just, just throwing out my nitpick there. Nice catch. Uh, that is a very nice catch. It's a stupid I, I, catch because they should have never said that in that episode, but exactly. it is there, and hey, I got to kind of throw it out there. Yeah, and I'll also mention, because I had a little note about this, I was reading an article about Kate Mulgrew, who recently was uh, commenting on she hopes that J.J. Abrams does something with having, uh, you know, introducing some kind of a, a, a lady as another captain or somebody of rank, because there's not enough ladies of rank breaking the glass ceiling in the Star Trek universe. I read and that I'm too. saying and I'm saying to myself, okay, how about you, Captain Janeway, 
uh, I know I've seen on next gen at least one, if not more, um, admirals that were actually Picard's boss. Uh, I know the captain of the Enterprise C. I don't remember her name. Rachel Garrett. There you go, Garrett. Mm -hmm. exactly, exactly right, spot on. Um, I mean, I'll agree there could be more. It's just, come on, Kate, take it easy. <laughs> well, I would really like to see in the new movie um, either in that regards, number one as as a, an admiral. You know, I, kind no, of, that would be good. That'd maybe, be a nice, nice touch. Yeah. And then definitely, not necessarily of rank, but I really want to see uh, Yeoman Rand. I I felt like she got Yeoman kind of, Rand. She got kind of yeah. chipped off by not being in the movie. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Yeoman Rand. Let's hear. Little love interest. I mean, uh, Spock's got uh, Ohura. Come on. Yeah, they, they still, can double date work, or something. I'm still working on that. <laughs> I I thought it was a great surprise. Yeah, yeah, I didn't see it coming, and, and I and, you know and, I went with it. And you should have seen it coming because they they gave us all kinds of hints when Ahura yeah. was able to influence somebody much higher in rank for, than him to transfer her to the Enterprise. It's just why did Spock do that? And then you see the kiss on the transporter pads, like, oh yeah, okay. That would explain it. And Donovan says that they haven't, uh, you know, you know. No. What? Oh, oh, you, oh, yeah. <laughs> Done the dirty. Well, we don't know for sure. We don't know. For, I'll agree. We don't know for sure. But come on. If come she, on. if she wields that kind of influence over Spock, I mean, I think they've, uh, you know. Well, you know, just I, I just saw an episode last night because um, I'm working my way through the entire original series on the remastered. I've got two left, and I want. Oh man, one of them's turning about Intruder. It is, it is. But the other one is um, <laughs> uh, one of it's one of my favorites. But of course, the name escapes me. But my point is that Spock actually flirts with somebody in the Cloudminders, and she kind of asks him. She says, "So." Only every seven years, there's nothing that, you know, and, and he kind of hints that, yeah, you know, it could happen. <laughs> yeah, let's hope so. <laughs> uh, I don't remember that one. That's funny. He says something like, like, beauty is an incredible distraction. I mean, it's definitely veiled, but it's there. Well, yeah. in, in where No Man Has Gone before and Charlie X, because I just watched those recently because I'm kind of doing the same thing you're doing, but I'm just now starting. In both of those there's some scenes where Hora is flirting with Spock. Yeah. And so I'm oh. watching, I'm going, oh, I guess maybe this is where they're getting the, the love interest between the two of them in the new movie. Could be. Well, I'll tell I, you, you know, Hora gets I, around. I, I never, I had never, one of the things I liked about doing this is you really can see the progression of the ensemble. If you watch them in order, you can see the cast kind of come together in their characters form. I'd never done that. I always seen randomly, whatever, episode was shown in reruns you know that's how i would watch them but watching them in order and then wait till you get to season three which we all know was you know complete Not with great yeah and there were for all re sorts of reasons why but you it's just remarkable how it just immediately the budget just drops off and the writing goes and there's a couple of real gems in season three but mostly not well what was it wasn't that uh, operation annihilate in season three no that's the last that was... one of season one Oh, that's yeah. still in season one. Yeah, last episode. Yeah, and and of course, if you watch them on, in the order on the Blu-ray, you're watching them in air order, 
not in production order, but you know, it's just easier to watch them and boom, 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 boom. <laughs> it's pretty close. It's pretty close to production order. Hmm. All right. Well, back to issue number 74. Well, could I ask one question? I'm kind of interested. Uh, you mentioned that there were a few gems amongst a pile of rubbish <laughs> in season three. So I'm just kind of wondering what, 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 what would those gems be as far as you're concerned? The enterprise incident. Yes. Agreed. That's, that's pretty good. Um, all our yesterdays. Oh, I, I think I like that one because I love the sequel books, you know, where, they, where Spock has a son through that episode. That's where. Oh, right. Everybody right, goes right, back right. in time. Right. <clears throat> right. Yep. And, he, and he has relations. Indeed, because he's a you know he's a passionate guy back then because it's five thousand years ago. Makes no yeah, sense. and that whole thing makes yeah we talked about that before. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I mean, it's I because on? he goes back. Well, you really have that much more to say? Okay, go. Um, I'm gonna have to look up the list, but I'll. Okay, but I thought okay. there was that's I, fine. You know, you can, maybe you can get stand back to me later because. Because it's uh, so bad. I mean, it's so well, bad. Yeah, I pretty much stop at the Enterprise incident. Spock's brain? But... Come on. Oh, that's Ooh, awful. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's, yeah. that's universally hated and known as the worst ever. But it's right up there with the way to Eden. Come on. That was a pretty bad one. And, and there's the Wyatt Earp one, the Spectre of the Spectre Gun. Of the gun. Well, that was bad, but not as bad as those other two. Oh, you oh, know what? The Tholian the 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 web, web was good. I was just going to say the Tholian web was great. We, great? You think it was great? I love the Tholian web. Yeah. I, I do enjoy that one. It means yeah. it's silly, but I like it. I like the remastered one where it shows the Tholians a little bit better. And even though I don't really necessarily think that it worked dramatically, I just appreciate Let That Be Your Last Battlefield because of what they were trying yeah. to say. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I, I, that, 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 was, that was a memorable one. You know. Yeah, but come on. You know, that, know. that Tholian like web thing. Are. You know, every five minutes they show... Kirk's ghostly image. Obviously, he's standing on a floor somewhere in the outfit, kind of moving his hips and stuff. Oh, <laughs> ah, I didn't like that one. Okay. Yeah, but that had Sorry. that whole scene. That had the whole scene where they were supposed to read, uh, listen to the tape that he made in case he dies, it, yeah. and that's and, and you know, there it's an emotional moment. And what's the line that Spock says? You know, McCoy's making some passionate plea to try and get some reaction out of Spock, and he just just. Doesn't even look at him, and he just says, "What would you have me say, Doctor?" Uh-huh. Great moment, you know. <laughs> I, I agree that I'll, I do like that one too. I'll have to watch it again. You know where you can see it the most in in season three. You can tell that scenes that were filmed on location in seasons one and two, they just did them on sets for season three. And all those cheesy rocks and stuff that you think about—that's usually season three. Yeah. Okay. We digress. A little bit, but this is all good stuff. Um, that's all I have to say about this one. Me too. All right, so 75 is a long one, and our special guest star is, has the privilege of synopsizing it. Super special guest star. It, it is a long one, and there's a lot of it, 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 there's a whole lot going on, so it's hard to just cut it down. So buckle up. <laughs> <clears throat> all right. DC Star Trek, Volume 2, Number 75. Howard Weinstein, writer, Rachel Ketchum, penciler, Mark Hike, inker, Bob Pinaha, letterer, Ray Murtaugh, colorist, Margaret Clark, editor, Star Trek, created by Gene Roddenberry. The cover by Sonia Hilios 
is a striking painting depicting a star in the upper center whose glowing rays fill the page in stunning yellows and oranges. Just above and left, the Enterprise sails as if making a gentle curve toward the viewer. Most of the right side is a detailed portrait of Kirk in sharp relief, wearing his original series uniform with clenched fists and looking pensive and troubled. On the bottom left is a portrait of Carol Marcus's face in soft focus, like all original series women, looking much as she does in Star Trek II, but younger. In the very bottom left corner, where the starburst turns red and purple, is the Golden Gate Bridge with an original series shuttle flying above. It's a really well done cover, actually. So, The Enterprise is passing Saturn on its way home from its famous five-year mission. Kirk's log tells us that after a bit of standard maintenance, he's looking forward to a second five-year deployment. McCoy and Spock are engaging in the usual friendly bickering when they come upon a space station in orbit of Saturn that they don't recognize. Spock checks Starfleet and reports the station was constructed 18 months ago and is an advanced propulsion test facility commanded by Commodore Wesley from the original series episode Ultimate Computer and the animated series One of Our Planets is Missing. Noting a new ship at the station, the NX-500 prototype, Scotty mentions he'd read about it but didn't know it was operational. The NX-500 takes off at impulse speed, impressing the crew, but when it engages warp drive, its warp field is imbalanced. The NX crew attempt to disengage, but their warp field integrity fails, and on the title page, they explode with the Enterprise in the foreground hovering over the rings of Saturn. The awkward title, Star-Crossed, A Bright Particular Star, is along the bottom. Kirk, on board the station, offers to help search for survivors, but is told sternly by Wesley to let it alone, as the rescue and inquiry are classified. The Enterprise returns to Earth. Kirk, Spock, McCoy, and Scotty meet with Admiral Balsey, can't make that up, presumably to discuss their next deployment. But as the Enterprise crew try to get information about the NX-500 disaster, they are forcefully shut down. Kirk gives Balzay the roster of his crew members wishing to be deployed on the second five-year mission when the Admiral announces that there will be no second deployment because the Enterprise is scheduled for its complete overhaul. Kirk and Scotty protest, and McCoy says, We've seen the future, and it blew up. Spock shocks the other three by announcing that the decision is log logical because the design and major components of the Enterprise are more than 30 years old. The Admiral reports that every Constitution-class vessel is being upgraded and the refit should take 18 months, but since the Enterprise must wait its turn, it'll be three years before she's operational. Spock and Scotty will be needed during the refit, and Kirk walks away in silence. Later on a shuttle, Kirk asks Balzay to keep his crew together on another ship and he's told to be reasonable. Besides, anything less than a starship would look like settling, and Balze hints that Starfleet has something in mind for Kirk. McCoy goes to Starfleet Medical to see if he can find out any info on the NX-500, but he's turned down flat, prompting him to storm out and quit, stating Starfleet can take this job and stuff it. Kirk volunteers to check out the NX-500 engines, but he's turned down. So he goes to Georgia to convince McCoy to come back uh, to Starfleet and finds him fishing and refusing to return. On the way back, Kirk is laying in bed wondering how this day could get any worse when he listens to his messages and hears a poignant but shocking message from Spock 
stating he's already left for Vulcan. He's troubled that five years with humans has changed him, and he makes a cryptic reference to command choices he himself made in rescuing his parents that resulted in some loss of life, presumably from an earlier comic. He's leaving for a life of study and contemplation, and he's unlikely to return to Starfleet. He asks Kirk not to contact him, but if the time is right, he'll call. Don't call us, we'll call you. He ends the message on a poignant note saying he'll miss Jim's professional acuity and, dramatic pause, his friendship. Spock out. Kirk makes a final log entry on the Enterprise, runs into Chekhov, and finally admits it's time to leave. Despite his string of rejections, Kirk decides to seek out Carol again, this time after seven years. They go out to lunch, where Kirk learns that David is enrolled in a science program at Oxford. Smart kid. Kirk asks if David knows about him, and she insists he doesn't and won't, and tells Jim to stay out of their lives. She tells him that her fiancé died six months ago, then checks in with Kirk to see that he's pretty down, so she offers to make him a home-cooked meal, perhaps a fine helping of mixed messages. He jokes about her cooking as they engage in their familiar and playful banter. Kirk checks to see what she knows about the NX-500 accident. She says he's, she's heard he's become quite a pest about it and tries to find something but can't. Is it a cover-up? If so, then Kirk is even more determined to find out about it. Suddenly, it's the morning after. Carol lies alone in bed with the morning light streaming in, two wine glasses on the table, photo frames knocked over, and her head in a pillow thinking, Good Lord, I slept with Jim Kirk again. Will I ever learn? Taking her shower of shame, she conjectures as to why he left, moving into generalizations about men. Men. How she and Jim are not meant to be, only to emerge from the shower and find Jim cooking her breakfast. Cut to Starfleet headquarters, where Kirk is offered the admiralship in the position of chief of Starfleet operations. He can't imagine doing it, but he struggles with the idea. He discusses it with Carol as they both wonder if his staying put would give their relationship a chance. They decide to revisit Mars, where they once went for a disastrous weekend while in uh, Starfleet Academy. Carol says she and David never have time to do such thing when Kirk replies, Make time, Carol. You know, like he supposedly always says. Carol is not surprised when Kirk casually steers their shuttle to the Enterprise, nor when she guesses he is still trying to solve the mystery of the NX-500. Kirk assures her that he came to be with her, but also to snoop around and to get away to contemplate his big decision. Kirk visits an old friend named Taya. They meet in a glass corridor overlooking one of the refits just to be safe. Taya is wearing her motion picture era uniform, but clearly this happens before the events in the motion picture, so it makes total sense that it wasn't covered in the motion picture episodes of Star Trek Comic Book Review. She tells Kirk she knows nothing about the NX project, like everyone else knows nothing, but that he should beware messing with the brass upstairs. Back on Earth, Kirk invites Carol over to his brand new unfurnished apartment, with unpacked crates and a few original series chairs, it looks to be the apartment that we see in Star Trek 2 II and 3. While sharing a romantic glass of wine, it suddenly dawns on Carol, my God, he's staying, and they dare to consider a future together and kiss. Cut to bearded McCoy in Georgia, where Carol is seeking out his advice on how best to help Jim through this transition. Meanwhile, now Admiral Kirk and Scotty are on a shuttle on their way to Starbase 8 next to Saturn. 
Kirk has specially requested Scott on this temporary assignment. Admiral Balsey is looking for Kirk and has good idea where he went. Technically, Kirk has clearance as an admiral, but he lied to both Carol and Balsey, and they are both pissed. Kirk arrives at the station and says he's there for a surprise inspection, and Captain Liftig shows him a ship that he calls his little XP, to which one wonders if it is therefore doomed to crash. The XP is equipped with intra-warp drive. Kirk and Scott take their shuttle to observe a test flight of the XP. They ooh and ah at the speed. Captain Liftig credits Scotty's ideas when suddenly an injector sequence misfires. Rats. They're going to abort, but Scotty stops them, saying if they stop, it will cause an uncontrolled warp field collapse, just like the NX-500, and they'll meet the same fate. He estimates five minutes to field collapse and suggests he and Kirk take their shuttle inside the XP's warp field. He estimates they'll be in the eye of the storm for about ten seconds and probably not enough time to get all eight crew members, but Kirk says they have to try. They do, and they do a subspace merge. They get the first group out, but not the second, although, frankly, it's a little unclear at that point. Later, Balsey fumes at Kirk. Kirk delivers a speech about evidence of mismanagement and how he's going to present it to Starfleet because he's no trophy chief of operations. It's his duty to stand up for the two dozen casualties on the NX-500. Later with Carol, Kirk talks about making a difference on a starship and how he has to keep finding a way to do it now that he is test-bound. He tells her he's sorry he can't be what she needs and asks to see David just to say goodbye. No. The final page shows a sad James T. Kirk looking out the shuttle window as the enter- at the Enterprise while remembering lines said about him by Carol, Spock, and McCoy. And with a freakish tear in his eye, he lets the Enterprise know that when she's ready, he'll be waiting. The end. It's amazing how he remembers stuff that that McCoy said when he wasn't there. I noticed. <laughs> I mean, that is crazy. <laughs> did, did you see the, the tear? That, is it a tear in his eye or is it supposed to be a reflection? I think it's just a reflection because that's a weird looking tear. That's what I'm saying. I, I thought this was pretty good. I, I have some, it, it, to look at the whole story arc, you know, we, we already talked about how they sort of needed to have a sci-fi subplot in there. And they did, but it kind of worked up until the end when I didn't get why he suddenly decided he couldn't be with Carol. He is going to be desk-bound. He is going to be there. Where did that decision come from? Well, well, and also, was it was it Kirk that decided he couldn't be, or was it Carol that decided he couldn't be? I, didn't quite I thought it was that. Carol's decision. That's what I thought. And, I thought. and to that end, I'm wondering what why. Is it A... He lied to Carol about going on a Starfleet mission. Was it B, he risked his life saving those people on the XP? Or C, he took the promotion uh, in ops uh, and took the, took the promotion and the ops job just because he wanted to get to the bottom of the NX-500 mission uh, mystery? Uh, not, right. because, not because he wanted to be uh, with Carol and David. Right, yeah, he, you're right. She basically says no. And uh, I, I guess I focused on the fact that he said he couldn't. Uh, yeah, I think yeah, right so, there. Yeah, but it's not clear. What, I mean, and maybe there's a D there too. But I mean, so yeah, I'm, it's a little muddy. 
you know, what's her exact motivations here? And maybe it's all those things. I don't know. Did this also strike, stand out for you? I, I felt that, you know, he makes this big speech, this sort of self-righteous speech of typical Kirk speech at the end about, you know, how he's, it's his duty to, you know, protect and expose this cover up. And really throughout the thing, you really get the impression that he just hates having a secret held from him. He just wants to know. <laughs> and that's really his motivation. You know what I mean? Right. Because it's just that's, so consistent. Yeah. So, of course, he still cares about saving lives. It's just also they're not telling him something. He's, he's pissed about it. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. He's Captain James Tiberius Kirk. That's right. Now, he he always w- did take – I mean, in Star Trek 2 – I'm sorry. Let me start over. In Star Trek 1, it's established that he's overseeing all the refits of the old-class ships, right? Uh, or is that least... expanded universe stuff? That... Scotty's no. overseeing the refit of the Enterprise. I didn't necessarily think that he was doing that. Okay, then it doesn't mean that he wasn't. Yeah, it must be in the novels then, because uh, J.M. Dillard wrote a whole bunch of Lost Years novels, which is yeah, based in that time. And yeah. in that, he's definitely overseeing all the the refits. And definitely, mm. the comic books are doing that, including that one that um, was it the Country Doctor one. Uh, Dr. McCoy, Country Doctor, whatever, or Space Doctor, whatever. Exactly. Frontier Doctor. Frontier He's definitely overseeing the Enterprise refit and maybe the other maybe other ships too. Right. What are there, 12 of them? There's 12 Constitution-class ships. And oh, man. All you, you've been researching, man. You are you are a fan. I, I am. I am. <laughs> I am. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I've been dying to ask you guys this. Did you guys, was it as obvious to me that the little joking about cooking is setting up the line from Star Trek II? When they first walk Mm. into the Genesis cave and McCoy and and Kirk are just just in wonder, um, she kind of explains what they did. Carol Marcus just says, can I cook or can I? Oh, that's right. (laughs) So they're clearly making reference to, to, you know, him disparaging her cooking. Oh, that's funny. And what I was thinking when Kirk was cooking, you know, doing the breakfast thing unexpectedly, was Mm -hmm. uh, thinking back to Generations Mm -hmm. when he was uh, in the Nexus making uh, making eggs for his uh, then-girlfriend, whatever her name was. His his Nexus wife? His Nexus. (laughs) Well... His nexus uh, girlfriend, perhaps to be fiance. Mm. Well, this is. I think this came. This book came out. Probably the most recent movie was Generations. It I was. don't think First Contact had come out yet. And there's a couple of references. Like that's why I made a point of it in the uh, synopsis that he tells um, Carol to make time, right. because Scotty always says, "Well, it's just like uh, Captain Kirk always says." If it's something's important enough, you make time. And I'm like, he never said that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that. Yeah, I've never heard him say that. And the other one was uh, the little doodad at the end about, you know, needing to make a difference, which is clearly read out of generations, you know? Yes, right. 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 So they're, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're the most recent memory, then they're trying to work it in. So uh, out of these three books, you, you guys think this was the best one? Well, I, I found myself having the biggest reaction to it. So that I mean, it, you know what I mean? In terms of the other ones were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and almost when I was reading the synopsis, though, it's, it's so 
you know, other than the fact that he has Carol look try to look something up, the two stories really are pretty distinct. And you don't get the, the impression really that they're, they need each other. These two stories need each other. They could be separated pretty easily. Yeah, it's almost like the the the, the space detective story or whatever you want to call it. It, it seemed tacked on and it seemed that it was just there to give Kirk something to do that would keep him away from Carol while she went out and talked to McCoy and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Well, there also had to be uh, good reasons in the end why they need to be broken up again. And I still think it's muddled at the end, but yeah. something had to be there to drive them apart again. I mean, because look at how perfect it is. Kirk's the admiral. He's already he's accepted there. the job. He's he's going to be uh, in charge of Starfleet operations. I mean, he's he's on Earth for Christ's He'll be in San Francisco. Right. Well, here here's what I wanted to see how it ended, and what? I was disappointed that it didn't go this way. I wanted Carol to realize that they weren't going to be happy together, you know, because because they want different things, and for him to buy the house and get ready to move in and and try to work this family out, and then her take some job off off planet, you know, which would ultimately On a starship. Well, not, not no, but something that would ultimately turn into the Genesis thing. Because yeah. I mean, she I had, she had she had to have been on that planet for I mean that asteroid for a, a long time or at least some sort of time. I wanted well, the that... same. It was weird that we didn't have some sort of vague, you know, slight, you know technical babble about about what would become the Genesis project exactly. Yeah, at least she could have said something about, you know, she's been contacted about some uh, a new project that she was thinking of going to anyway. Right, and that be her justification to for her instead of Kurt be yep. the one that leaves Earth. Yep. That, wouldn't that be a Wouldn't that be a kick in the pants? <laughs> and that's what I kept waiting for. And then they were like, "Oh, well, I'm just going to break up with you because you you want to be you want to work too much." I don't know. It seemed weird. It, 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 <laughs> it was forced. I thought. I did appreciate, and I don't know. I I, I always get tickled. I I loved it that they just had you know the first motion picture uniform um in there just once so you could see that the transition was starting and i liked it when they showed what looked to be kirk's apartment from the the second and third films you know they had the original series chairs in there that that sort of transitional stuff shows to me that there's a certain attention to detail and a certain love of the the story you know which you weren't weren't finding in gold key or any of that stuff oh good god no (laughs) 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 gold key (laughs) Sorry. <laughs> now her outfit does. I, I don't. I, it looks closer to the original or to the the motion picture than than what he's wearing. But I don't see what you're. I mean, it has a collar where theirs didn't have collars and shoulder pad looking things. I mean, aside from it being Which... gray, I don't see how it really matches up with the pajamas from the motion picture. I think they're really trying to point us in that direction. I mean, she even has like a holster or something. Yeah. No, it's not exact. And I think that that's probably on purpose, I think. But it's certainly more like motion picture than it is the shirts from. Yeah. Well, it's the same color, at least. It's on page 30. Yeah, 30 and 31. Uh, I just like how they did it in that uh, annual number two for volume one. uh, Oh, yeah, definitely much better. where, Where Decker just shows up and he's wearing them. And he's yeah. like, this is what you're all going to be wearing soon. Yeah, I mean, that, again, is pretty on the nose, you know, when they do it that way. 
I thought this was more subtle. I actually thought that that was a great issue, the the um, the final mission annual, which you guys reviewed a while ago. Right. Uh, I I thought they did that. They had a lot of fun with that. That was sort of their their whole purpose. In this, it was a little more subtle. And I look at that. I don't know. What do you think, Ken? You're the. Does it look motion picturey to you? It looks a little motion picturey. Definitely the collar's not right. But look at those little appellate kind of little patches on the shoulders. Mm-hmm. And and on this uniform, I, I think... really hate the daisy with the the clown daisy. Yeah, the clown daisy. <laughs> God, I hate that too. Yeah, I, I see some bits that are that are motion picture, but there's a lot that's not motion picture. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so I guess it is kind of a transition. The only thing is, there's some things they have on it that aren't transition. They're just like, like Extra. appendixes. They're, they're they're like dead end, style wise dead ends. Yeah, I think the shoulder pad thing could have really kicked off. That looks that's <laughs> a nice look. I like it. I like it. <laughs> yeah, but but definitely that kind of like modern day kind of collar. Definitely, that's not in the future. I'm sorry. I think they outlaw it. So now that we're talking about her, who the hell is she? I and couldn't find any reference. We should know who she is. I don't know, but yeah. she's pretty hippie. <laughs> she's hippie. <laughs> she's cute. She's round. She's she's good. Curvaceous. So I mean, it kind of implies that they have had a, a a history together, but I can't find her in any episodes or even in. You know the comic. There you go, always trying to find something, some piece of the puzzle that fits in. Come on, don't just Kirk knows everybody, okay? He's been around. It it was that, and it was Spock's weird comment about losing control to try to save his parents. What was that? That bothered that bothered me too, and obviously it bothered you, Donovan, because you texted me about it. I did because I thought, well, is it a? I thought maybe it was a third season episode that I hadn't remembered, (laughs) and I asked Brian yesterday because I was thinking, well, maybe it was an episode of the animated series that I couldn't remember. And I think Brian's right. I think Brian's right that it's probably just. I mean, we're up to the seventy third, seventy fourth, seventy fifth issue. I mean, there's a lot of issues that went before it. Probably something happened in one of those previous issues. Yeah, there's a few that have flashbacks, and I even went back. How far far back did you go? Because I only I only went six or seven issues back. I didn't go back. I stopped after that. <laughs> I just kind of spot look. I just looked at the covers and and then went. If it looked like it was going to be a flashback, I, I went through it. How many? Do you want a number? <laughs> I, I didn't count. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, that just bothered me. I, I I I'm glad that you guys don't know what it is either. No, we're all ignorant. Good. I love ignorance. <laughs> I revel in it. <laughs> All right, so my last question about this issue, and then I'll let you guys finish what you have. Um, how could that little shuttle keep up with a starship? I that's completely going at agree. Didn't get it. Didn't get yeah, it. This, this, the shuttlecraft Curie, Curie, Madame Curie, I guess. That sucker had warp drive in it back in in Taz days. It's like really. I'll buy that it has warp drive, but how could it keep up with this ultra warp that's supposed to be so much faster than regular warp? Well, um, it's like having a vet. A vet can go at thirty miles per hour too. I mean, I mean, do, I mean, do we know it was actually going at warp eleven when, uh, you know, when they tried to catch up to it? Yeah, but all three of us noticed it, and all you know, all, we all had the same reaction, like, no, no, sorry. yeah, yeah, yeah. And and, now, and, and, and why couldn't they have had, uh, you know, just another ship? I mean, it doesn't have to be a, a Constitution class, but just something bigger than a shuttle. Right. I Good mean, more. the thing the thing didn't look much different from the Galileo Seven. Nope, it right. looked just like it. It was. Yeah. It was that definitely that that model. 
Yeah, well, there was one spot where the front of it, or at least the, where they drew it, where the front of it seemed like it, rather than it being straight across, it seemed like it was kind of like beveled in the very front. But then there's other scenes where it looks like it's straight across, just like the normal uh, Galileo 7. So, well, whatever. The main point is, it <laughs> looks like a normal shuttlecraft. You know, and, and you know, they're trying to find this thing, which, frankly, I, I thought it was a little overdone. Intra-warp, trans-warp, doesn't work. Yeah, you know? Well, they won't know trans-warp doesn't work until Star Trek uh, 4. Uh, agree, but, agree, but I, I, I definitely agree with Brian's point. They, they keep on making up all these different warp, variations on warps that sound hokey. And, and don't work, you know? And, and, yeah, <laughs> and kill people and blow up. I love that line. I oh, love I that line. That line. I, I laugh so hard. That, that's <laughs> the only time I've laughed during a comic book. Yeah, you've seen the future, I, and it blows. And it up. blew up. <laughs> McCoy gets some of the best lines. But yeah, but why would he quit just because he couldn't get information? I mean, yeah. clearly he must have already had an issue. You know what I mean? It, it seemed forced. It was overdone, but it was still, you know, I don't know. It, it explained it put it put some pieces into place which we knew were going to happen. So, but yeah. I, it, I agree, like, it's forced. Mm-hmm. Right. So. Uh, he has to get all hairy, and he has to start wearing low cu- low cut shirts with big medallions. Yeah, <laughs> but like I don't that. think we had to see that transition in this one right. issue. And the scarf right. around the neck. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I lied. I have one other uh, nitpick thing. Um, Spock says he's been with humans for five years, and maybe that's too much. But didn't he say that he was with Pike for like eleven years, and that he's been with Kirk for at least five years? So that. Puts him at 16, according to my count. Exactly. Well done. I think you're right. Uh, you're probably right, but it's like... I, I don't think Weinstein actually thought anybody would do the math. Come on. <laughs> He's writing a Star Trek comic book. Yeah, People are going to do the math, damn it. <laughs> I mean, Good point. we're nitpicking it, but there's so many people out there that, that would nitpick it even further than we are. We we at least sleep well at night thinking that. <laughs> <laughs> when in actuality, no. <laughs> I have a very Sorry. similar nitpick. I have a very similar nitpick. Um, Spock also says that the Enterprise is over 30 years old, where in Star Trek Three: Finding Nimoy, um, they said that at that point, they said the same thing. Enterprise is 30 years old. And um, you know how old is this thing? You know, you've got the you've got the Pike know. era. Do you have the Robert April era? How old is the Enterprise? It was even it always bothered me in Star Trek Three that they said it was only thirty years old because I thought it's got to be older. I, than that. I say well, this is worthy of a web search, unless Donovan knows. Well, I I know of there was a, a novel. Excuse I think me, was... sir. Yes, yes, sir. I I know this. <laughs> you fail to take into account is there there actually <laughs> there's a novel called enterprise first mission where it's robert april's first mission on the enterprise and george kirk is there uh and in fact george kirk is the one that names it enterprise and kirk, uh hold on hold on i'm sorry uh george yes. the father the father who becomes a farmer no, he was he was a uh, he was never a farmer full time. Okay. <laughs> yeah, he just was... he just he just supposedly working well, you in saw Iowa. Two thousand nine movie. He on the 
on the sh- on, on the you know on the pickup truck with the family. Oh, okay, go when ahead. he's when he's at home, yes, that's what he does. No, in that book, he's he's the Starfleet officer. He's not captain, uh, but he's working with Robert April on the first Enterprise, and um, Kirk's a little boy, like maybe six or seven. Mm-hmm. So if if Enterprise really is thirty years old, then that would put Kirk at thirty six, forty something like that. Which I guess that works. Could be. I think I think he's established he's in his thirties at some point when he's the captain of the Enterprise. He's the youngest captain in Starfleet. And now right. he's the youngest. Admiral. Yeah, I, I didn't need that. In this. <laughs> that. I thought that was overkill. He didn't have to also be the youngest admiral. But that kind of makes sense though, doesn't it? Yeah, I guess because you're going up the chain. Yeah. Well, you know, got... Robert April. Robert April does show up in uh, an animated series episode. Um, yeah. What's the name of it? The one. It's the, the one where the counterclockwise. Yes. Counterclock incident. Incident. Yeah. Where they all become babies, and except since he's so old, he and his wife they become young adults, and save the ship. Yeah. Um. You didn't. You said <laughs> that you missed some of the Pike episodes that we did, but uh, we did the John Byrne. Um, the crew uh-huh. miniseries, and that has Captain April on the Enterprise along with his wife as the medical officer, which tied into that episode of the animated series. Yeah. Oh, it was very cool. nice. I'll that was a go cool back episode. Look, read and listen. Yeah, yeah, that's the only segment I have not, you know, caught up on. Um, and I got to tell you guys, both of you, I don't know how you do it because I, I barely can find time to actually listen to the episodes where you actually do. And now I know what it takes to do the research and look at it and read it. I have great admiration for you both because I just hope that you can get through all of the comic books, which will take you way more than three years and um, still have jobs and be married. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. (laughs) I I hope we can do all that too. (laughs) Uh, Long, long journey. And it does take a lot of time. It's got to. And we keep adding new stuff when we found out about the comic strip, and then uh... yeah, people kind of write into us and uh, tell us, oh, "Oh, sir, you 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 need these Peter Pan comics. You need to do these." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you had already done a Peter Pan comic, so they were on the docket, dude. Oh, that yeah, he, he fought. He fought me on that one because we did the the cat one. Hey, you anyway. did the you did the McDonald's strip. <laughs> we on. did the McDonald's strip, and you said oh, at that God. point because it's a strip, we've got to do it. We got to do them all. So, uh, yeah, because I edited out all his, uh, you know, cursing me, <laughs> which you said right after that. <laughs> um, I did love how they handled the Carol Marcus waking up in bed, being like, "Oh my God!" I thought, you know, haven't we all been there? I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I really, I, I really actually felt like that felt real, you know. And, and the shower of shame. Yeah. <laughs> the shower of shame. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, but she's jumping to conclusions. Kirk doesn't always take off. He's not, sometimes he's around and he has eggs to offer. Seems, that seems to be a shtick, doesn't it? I, I have one thing to mention that I'm done. The artistry on page 10 in the uh, middle of the page to the right where they show a profile of McCoy, it's like... What picture of DeForest Kelly did they use to draw that horrible uh, profile of him? I mean, he, I don't know if you can get to page uh, 10 or not, but he looks like a Planet of the Apes ape. <laughs> <laughs> he looks terrible. Yeah, that's, pretty bad. That's, pretty... I, that's not DeForest Kelly. At least not the DeForest Kelly I know. 
Well, it's his hairline. It's his face that gets kind oh, of it's... distorted. Boy, it's his nose. Look at his nose. Look at his upper lip. I mean, it's just like, oh, that's the part that bugs me. <laughs> well, I mean, we didn't talk about the artwork in general, but I, I'm, I, I wasn't the biggest fan of the artwork in all three of these issues. I, I thought the ships looked good, but the people a lot of times looked odd or just a little off. Yeah, I thought it was hit or miss, actually. Some were good, some were not, you know? Yeah. The the one thing I want to draw attention to before we close is if you could all the way down to page thirty three to the big kiss when they're actually thinking maybe there's a future for us. Look at Carol's face. <laughs> she, she doesn't look into it. <laughs> She's like grimacing. Yeah, it's like, you know, Kirk, did you have onions with your dinner or something? <laughs> <laughs> Garlic maybe? Yeah. It, it does yeah. look a little funny. <laughs> like, oh oh no, he's gonna kiss me. <laughs> Come on, she's she's emotional. You see the you see the tears earlier. Come on. I think what they're going for is I'm so happy. Yes, yes. You know, because I think and when he when she says, "Oh my God, he's staying," that we're not we're supposed to take that of like 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 oh no, you know, not necessarily like oh yes. I think I think she's supposed to be conflicted. But anyway, I just thought she looked like she was I don't know constipated, sitting on broken glass or something. (laughs) Well, see, I took it as uh, that she was really happy. I mean, she's crying in the very next frame after she says, oh, my God, he's staying. Yeah, you're right. With those same similar freakish tears. <laughs> those look at least more tear-like than that last page. Yeah, they're, they're, they're in the right place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyways. Are, you, are we going to get it? Maybe I'm jumping the gun here, but are we going to get a what was happening in Star Trek? Uh, Yeah. We'll have to do it somewhat briefly because – this for the expanded uh, universe. What else was happening in Star Trek Land? Uh, because this was about a year out before Star Trek First Contact comes out, and we're in season three of Deep Space Nine and season two of Voyager. So this was kind of the height of Star Trek mania, if you will. So maybe uh, Ryan, you've you've read some of these books, but in July of 1995, there was a original series novel called Fearful Summons by Denny Martin Flynn. Anybody no, I think that? I think I had I had finally realized that I, I reached a certain point where I was reading all the novels, and I realized I'm only going to read so many books in my life, and I really have to like read something else. <laughs> and uh, I think I kind of fell off the the novel wagon at that point. To be honest, I, I kind of did too, uh, and it was probably around this time, probably around ninety three, ninety four, because I was trying to read everything, uh, and then I was just like, you know, I got to read other stuff. And usually, the numbered novels weren't all that great, so yeah. I was like, I'll just read the hardbacks because those, you know, if they're gonna make me shell out twenty bucks, it must be good. <laughs> Versus <laughs> not five dollar paperback. <laughs> A marketer's dream. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh yeah, they had me hook, line, and sinker. Oh, I, I'm I'm right there with you. <laughs> so I did not read this one. Uh, it has Captain Sulu and the Excelsior being kidnapped, and then Kirk um, might be forced to give in to some terrorist demands uh, to save the crew. Like I said, I haven't read it, so I, I can't give you too much more about it. Uh, the original, or uh, the Next Generation, had a novel also that month called Into the Nebula by Gene DeWeese. And it was about uh, the Enterprise encountering strange nebular dust, and then things start disappearing, and and I guess they're having to find out what it is. And Data has to find a way to save his crewmates or watch two worlds collide. So I guess there's two planets in the nebula. Haven't read it. Don't know anything about it. 
there was also a Voyager episode, or I'm sorry, Voyager novel called Ragnarok. <laughs> Ragnarok. Ragnarok? Ragnarok. Yeah, just like on uh, Galaxy Quest. Around the clock tonight, right. Ragnarok uh, by Nathan Archer. And I think I actually have read this one long time ago. Uh, but it is uh, Janeway and Voyager. Um, they get like a, you know, and this is the reason why I stopped reading Voyager novels altogether. Because each each novel was, they're going to get home. And then you start, you buy it and you're like, I know they're not going to get home. This is a waste of five bucks. <laughs> <laughs> but so nothing anyways, interesting happens along the way? Okay. Exactly. So I just like, I, I think this is the only Voyager book I've ever, I ever bought. And I don't even know if I finished it. But they, they think they have a way home. And they got to like fight these these aliens. It's like a civil war type thing. Uh, I never finished it, but I did like the aliens in it because they were like a uh, salamanderish type lizard people, and I kept thinking, "Hey, I wonder if they're uh, Janeways and uh, Paris's love childs from that uh, Warped In episode." <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, all right, so continuing August '95, uh, uh, there was a book. Original series, First Frontier by Diane Carey and Dr. James I. Kirkland. And this is one where there's like a time anomaly and they go back to Earth to find out that the Earth is still being ruled by dinosaurs. So then they have to go back in time to try to find out <sighs> where the, the timelines diverged and humanity never took over Earth. Oh, sign me up for that one. Yeah. <laughs> the cover is actually pretty cool because it has you know old style Kirk and Spock, and then behind them is this dinosaur, almost like. Yeah, I think I've seen that before. <laughs> Gee, it sounds fairly familiar, actually. Did they all jump on his back and get a ride? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> all right, September 1995. There was a Deep Space Nine novel called um, "The Larton Gamble" by Robert Sheckley. I've read some other stuff by Robert Sheckley, but I haven't read this. Uh, the premise doesn't sound all that interesting to me. Dr. Bashir starts gambling, and <laughs> as he's winning, um, planets in the Federation start losing their atmospheres. Suns are going supernova. <laughs> so the more he wins, all these bad things are happening to the universe. So he stops gambling, and then some aliens uh, force him to keep gambling or, or something like that. It's the premise that sounds, sounds awful. It does sound bad, uh, but I haven't Bashir read the book, so maybe it's maybe it's good. I don't know. What'd you say? Doctor Bashir goes to Gamblers Anonymous. <laughs> I just, I just, just yeah, goes. and this was written before he was. Uh, it was he was outed as being a uh, metahuman. Right, genetically enhanced. Genetically enhanced. Sorry, I, I get my uh, continuities mixed up. That that's what they call them in DC land. <laughs> All right, so Voyager also had a novel in September called Violations by Susan Wright. And again, almost going to get home. <laughs> Thanks to some uh, aliens uh, that board the Enterprise. To, uh, but comes out that the aliens are going to steal the main computer. And she has to negotiate with these uh, thieves. I have never read it. She being uh, Janeway, of course. God, talk about saturating the market. Paramount was really milking this thing at that point. Oh yeah, it was really bad. Yeah, they would because uh, back in in the next gen and um, original series days, they would come out with one novel 
and one or the other a month. So right. you have either an original series or a next-gen series book a month, which is not too bad. But then once Deep Space Nine and, and Deep, Space Nine, um, Deep Space Nine and Voyager came out, they just started oh, way overdoing it, I thought. Which is probably why maybe there was an oversaturation and decline in interest. Exactly. Right. Sales went through the floor. floor. And why some of us have rooms full of crap with Star Trek that we thought we would retire on <laughs> <laughs> that are, really can't be given away. Like all, the, like all these comic books? <laughs> I, but I really enjoy them. All right. Well, I guess we should go ahead and finish off this episode. So I uh, think that's good. Next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. So we'll be back next week with episode 51 where we're going to review Marvel's first three Voyager issues along with a special guest host. Cool. So, and Brian, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah. No, no, thank you. I had a ball. I had a lot of fun and uh, I will continue to be a Star Trek comic book review fanboy. And, <laughs> uh, and I will continue to write annoying little nitpicky notes. Um, Perfect. Because it's so much fun. I gotta Keep tell you, when online. I first started writing those emails, I was really worried that you were just gonna like roll your eyes and be like, oh, please. But I wrote them anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, I appreciate them because you do catch stuff that uh, that we did not. Well, that, that, it keeps that's... us on us to- on our toes. So now I gotta, you know, maybe I gotta research a little bit more before I open my big mouth and say stuff. <laughs> nah, just say what you want to say. All right. Well, thanks, thanks again, Brian, for coming by, and uh, we'll talk to everybody next week. All See right. you next time on Star Trek. With Donovan, Ken, and Brian. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website www.stcomicbookreview.com Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name ST Comic, second name Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.